welcome to the lounge. Today we have our first return guest. Bree Bo Larson is talking about his brand new Kickstarter, Turn. It's about shapeshifters and their daily lives. It sounds really awesome. Um, I'm really excited for it. It's one of those things where I'm like, hey, I think I've always wanted to play this. I just didn't know it yet. So that's always exciting. Oh, and we also follow up on his uh, Behind the Mask zine because um, I've been checking that out. There's a lot of really cool stuff in there. So be sure to have fun and enjoy the lounge. Um, so the last the last time you were on, it was an extra special episode because I really wanted to push it out off of my usual um, off of my usual uh, uh, schedule, um, mm-hmm. which we'll probably be revising simply because of that event and some other ones. Um, but uh, so you've kind of inspired me to maybe change the way I do things on this. Uh, but that's okay. It's my my first year, so. Learning how how it goes a little bit. Well, everything's best when we change and grow. That's right. Um, willingness to change is what makes people better. Um, but uh, I did get behind the mask in the mail. Um, it has uh, it has been within arm's length. Um, I think pretty much since I got it. Um, wow. It it right away went into my like. Uh, my, my, my pack of, uh, my backpack, uh, there was a couple of days where I didn't bring my backpack to work. Just full disclosure, mm-hmm. but, <laughs> That's um, awesome. and I also want to say that, that the big, the big inspiration from that was that, uh, I'm pushing really hard to play monster hearts in my regular group, uh, but <laughs> they are, they're more bash them up hitty people. So ah, yes. yeah. you do plenty of that in monster hearts a lot of the time, just, to, just so they know um, there's a lot of feelsy stuff, but it can also be an extremely violent game. Oh really? Uh, yeah. Huh. Yeah. Um, I, I, my characters have eaten people in it. Um, so, you know, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I did not know that I've, I've never, I've never played it. Um, I've played apocalypse world. Um, and, uh, let's see, I've played Apocalypse World, I've played Masks. I love the, the Powered by Apocalypse stuff. Monster Hearts mm-hmm. seems interesting because of the social stuff, but I, I, I had no idea that the, that there could be some, I guess it makes sense. That some yeah, Lash Out physically is a serious move, and it does get used. Yeah. Um, especially if you angle towards it, like if your players are all into that kind of play and you like the GM like angles toward it, you can have a pretty like physically violent game. Okay. Um, not quite apocalypse world levels necessarily. Um, shouldn't be really, I don't think. Um, but definitely like you can find a good balance between the talky bits and the fighty bits and, and do some really cool stuff. I one one of the things I'll say about Apocalypse World though is that I did not fight nearly as much as I thought I would. Um, yeah, I spent more time probably mitigating my own gang. It was a it was a it was a weird it was a biker gang, but it was uh, it was an Apocalypse World that was like um, Waterworld. Oh wow! So my biker gang was like all these guys on like um, uh, you know these old skidoos and stuff like that. Um, and awesome. yeah, I, I had a lot of fun playing. I actually talked like this kind of like weird slang uh, surfer dude the whole time. That was a oh, lot yeah. of fun. It was fun. It was fun inhabiting that character for a while. That was cool. Um, That's awesome. But uh, so um, yeah, what have, what have you been playing lately? I know you've been going to con um, to con. So I 
I've been I was a big bad con and then I did Gauntlet Con. Okay. Um and I actually mostly ran. I ran my game turn. Turn. Obviously. Yep. Which one? Um at both of those. And I also played Roar of Alliance, which is a um, game that my husband John Sheldon is working on. Very um, cool. And it is uh I I try and plug it all the time because it's seriously one of my favorite games. Like <laughs> it really is. I love playing it so much. The World War II tank cruise in an alternate history World War II. And, Whoa! Oh, it's so good. It's uh. That sounds amazing. Um, of course, I want to talk a lot about turn and everything, but but since we're we're plugging that first, uh, you said the name was it Roar of Alliance. Roar of Alliance, yeah. A roar. Oh wow, Roar, roar of the Lions. Um, Roar of Alliance, like because uh, of the Allied Nations. Oh, we're, oh, it is wherever lines. Okay. I don't know yeah. why I can't hear today. Um, it's okay. I have trouble talking sometimes. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a, it's basically um, the game has like a really nice strategic combat section. And then it also has um, this like really nice structured downtime, social role-playing section. And um, it, it is honestly one of my favorite games to play. It's just so fun. And like you get to explore so much with it and make these characters that are like really human and lovable. Um, yeah, I That's love it cool. so much. Is it, is he kickstarting that soon? Um, we're not sure. Okay. Uh, I would love for it to be like published and out in the world because then more people would play it and I could play it more. <laughs> um, but uh, it's basically right now, coming into the point where we're trying to figure that part out. Like yeah. it's, it's in, it's done basically. Like there's been some minor refinement, um, but it's in really good shape and it's a beautiful functional game um, that is just a hell of a lot of fun to play. So the thing is, is it's kind of a board game RPG hybrid a little okay. bit. And cause it uses playing cards and tokens and um we're trying to figure out how to make that doable. Yeah, uh, is where we're at. Yeah, that that makes sense. It's there are there are times too where you know it can be said that like, um, like you know I I've I've designed a couple things and and whatnot, but I've obviously created way more things than that. And lately, right. I've been kind of going through and saying, um, my literally my my. Tenet is, um, is this a thing that I can design as part of, uh, I'm actually working on a project with Misdirected Mark to do the, well, Encoded Designs. They're designing a, a new game. I love the new system that they're designing and it's kind of a generic system. So I'm kind of playing with what it can use. But in doing that, I look at like, is this something I want somebody to play for or to run for me? Or is mm -hmm. it something only I want to run? Because if it's something only I want to run, then that's a campaign for me. You know, yeah. Um, and I think that that's the thing is like, you know, so so if John's at a point where he's like, I want to play in this. Well, it's a GMless game. Oh well, then. Um, <laughs> so yes. he can he can play in it, but we also want other people to get to experience it. Yeah. I think is where it's at for us is like, we want to play it with more people, and we want to see other people experiencing it because it's just it feels different than a lot of games mm -hmm. when you play it. It's very, to me, it's a kind of um, different experience than most role-playing games, but I get the same good things out of it that I do out of other role-playing games. Okay. If that makes sense. No, so. it makes, it makes perfect sense. Um, I, um, I, I it, it's interesting. This GM list. I'm, I'm excited to try it out at some point. So, um, and, and when the time comes, of course, I will, I will bring John on and I will make him talk more about it. Uh, oh, you'll get to hear his wonderful voice. <laughs> um, so yeah. let, um, let's talk about, uh, turn. All right. Yeah. Um, so, so give me the pitch. What's it, uh, what's it all about? So turn is a supernatural slice of life RPG about shapeshifters in small rural towns. And it is a destructive design of apocalypse world. So pretty far removed, but has some similar things uh, in application that work differently than they do in the original form. 
Very cool. Um, so, so let's, let's talk about like where, um, well, let's, uh, let me ask you this. So you say slice of life. Yes. So when I think slice of life, I think like, like this is the experience of, of everyday living for these beings that can turn from, can they turn into anything? Can they turn into specific things? Is there little column so, A, column B? Um, so basically the, the game as in its current state, as it will be coming up on Kickstarter, has um, a variety of human roles okay. that are things like the organizer and the overachiever and the heir and things like that. Oh. And then it has uh, archetypes, which are the beast sheets that you can have because you have two character sheets. Oh. And um, on the beast sheets, there's like the bear and the raven. There's the wolf, the snake, the bison, the otter, the raccoon, and the cougar. I think I covered all of them. There's like eight. Okay. <laughs> um, and uh, they all have different powers and things that they can do and ways that they interact with the world. That's cool. So, and Slice of Life is very accurate to how the play is supposed to be. Okay. So. Okay, so it's it's just kind of like like the experience in the everyday. These aren't people that are going to seek out new adventures every like that's what I think of with with Slice Slice of Life is like this isn't someone who's trying to find the lost treasure of uh uh I don't know I can't think of a lost treasure yeah. <laughs> so the the characters are shapeshifters who mm -hmm. are restricted to living in this small town for some reason or another that you explore in game. Oh, okay. Um, so maybe whenever they go out to the big city, they get too stressed out and just can't handle it and have to go back home. Or maybe there's something else of it. Um, but it's about learning to find balance between your beast and human identities and to find community both with your town and with other shapeshifters. And um, so there, sometimes we've just had people have like half the session was just getting phone calls from various like family members and having arguments while trying to resolve like bills and like stressors of various kinds. Um, and some of it's just trying to get through everyday life is challenging, yeah. you know, like, it's hard for the normal person that doesn't have any like special powers or abilities, but all of the shapeshifters in turn are super powered. Um, they have super strength and super senses and a super appetite. And they basically have to try and function as normal people and deal with everyday things without flipping tables and cars. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> uh, one of my favorite uh, favorite stories we had from play is uh, one of the characters was playing the organizer who is like really focused on like planning things and getting people together, but also was playing a bison who want to just chill out in their field and not be bothered. Right. Uh -huh. But um, they had a disagreement with the mayor and were in the mayor's office talking to them and fighting with them and their stress meter, like you check marks as you get stressed out. And when you hit the end, it says you have to change. You have to turn into your other form. And um, they had to rush out of the building into the street and turn into a bison. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it was one of the most like amazing scenes because the the character themselves is very calm and chill. Mm -hmm. She like she was not like a very stressed out person normally, but she just had so many different like pieces of bullshit come up on the dis the schedule that day and then arguing with the mayor put her over the edge and um you always have control um except for being told you must turn at the end of the scene is the only time you ever lose full control of your character and then at that point you're just in your other form with full control so it's a it's it's pretty funny to have the organizers stuck in the bison, unable to go back into the office and resolve the meeting. <laughs> it's just it's just too much. Uh, yeah, I've I've had those days. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, this this does seem to be uh, there. There does seem to be a a, a very uh, a cool metaphor here, um, or at least. 
or I'm attributing it because I feel like that sometimes. Um, I'm always interested to see what people interpret it as because it gets interpreted as a bunch of different things and some or all of them are right is yeah. what I'll say to that. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. So, so this is, I guess this is my thought with not having played it. Um, uh, I, I, my, my initial thought is, um, you know, I, uh, from, from my own personal experience, um, I struggle a lot with, with very simple things, things that other people find simple. Um, mm -hmm. and so I get frustrated at, at things that, that m most people, I should say, don't necessarily struggle with. Um, it's, I, I, my other podcast is called confusion is my superpower simply because, um, I can take complex things and do them very easily, but simple things are sometimes more complex for me. It's kind of like evened out. So, but I've had those days where I keep running into these hurdles or I keep making, making mistakes or someone isn't listening to me or something like that. And, you know, and I just feel like I want to get up or, you know, I mean, I've had times where I'm working and I stand up and I leave the room, you know, um, I don't go in the street and turn into a bison, but that sounds amazing. <laughs> <laughs> like I'd do yeah. that if I could. I mean, a lot of turn is really exploring real slice of life, just with the addition of you're secretly a beast and can turn into one um, and have a whole other life that you have to live. Um, one of the things that you have in the game, each uh, side, so each form has goals. Mm -hmm. So you'll have your beast goals that are seasonal ones that renew every season the same thing. Um, and then the human goals that are really like, they're pretty big deal and they can be a lot harder and more important um, in the like human scheme of things than you would imagine the beast ones to be. Um, but they, uh, they renew um, as you complete them and you get to write new ones. But those are sometimes competing goals. Right. Um, and sometimes just competing for your time because the beast goals, you can only complete one a season. Um, but the human goals, you can kind of complete as many as the like story actually allows for, cause they're very narrative. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's sometimes uh, really interesting to watch people, you know, have that struggle of, well, my beast really wants to be like hunting in the woods to get this big dinner, this big winter feast. But as you know, one of the human roles, like maybe you're supposed to be helping out someone else to get out of a serious situation. Sure. Um, and like, it's, it's very, um, it's very especially interesting to me to watch people doing this whenever you're playing these characters where uh, exposure is one of the mechanics that um, I worked <laughs> a lot on. Because mm -hmm. um, all of these things you're doing a lot of the time you activate the other side of you, both in beast form and human form to help you get the job done, to like help you do what you want to do. Yeah. Or sometimes you're just struggling between the two. And when that happens, it becomes evident a little bit to the rest of the world that you're not quite the same as everybody else. Okay. Um, and that's when exposure comes into play. And it can be positive or negative and affects like NPCs and the town separately. Um, and uh, it can affect whenever you're like in a beast environment and you're doing something a little too human-y. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or whenever you're like, you know, maybe you growl because you're angry and you're at church uh, and people act a little weird. <laughs> I don't know why, but when you said doing something too human-y uh, <laughs> in, in a beast environment, for when you said raccoon, I immediately was like, oh yeah, raccoons are my spirit animal. Um, and I imagined a raccoon reading a comic book with a bunch of other raccoons just staring at him. Like, what, what are you doing, man? Um, that actually totally would work. Uh, <laughs> you retain all of your intelligence in, in both forms. Mm -hmm. um, and raccoons are particularly good with human technology is one of their uh, powers they can take. And um, so uh, one person talked a lot about seeing like a raccoon messing around with a cell phone and how <laughs> they could just totally see that happening. And I was like, yep, that I've, Totally. Basically had that go on kind of thing. So <laughs> that's awesome. Um, where did where did the the idea originate? Where where did uh, where did this kind of flow from? Or 
Um, so the idea to make a game yeah. um, in general that had the tone of this came from being unsatisfied with an experience of Monster Hearts. Okay. Um, uh, Monster Hearts is a really great game, but sometimes tonally it doesn't match up for me. And there were a couple of other little things like the age of the characters and stuff like that that didn't hit the right nerve. Mm. Um, and uh, I really love shapeshifters. Uh, I have um, bipolar disorder and um, I'm also someone who was a closeted queer person for a really long time. And I'm also someone with an invisible disability. So um, having hidden sides of my identity um, that sometimes make me do things differently than people might expect is something very familiar to me. Speaks to you. Yeah, and um, I also grew up in a small town and that's a really huge part of what turn is. Um, I my uh, I grew up in a place called Bogsville originally. <laughs> uh, and then moved Sorry to, to laugh, Van- <laughs> Right. And then I moved to Vandergrift, which is still super small, um, but I technically lived in like the village of Dime, which is like, the population is mad small. It's like super, super little. Um, And I grew up on a farm and had to deal with rural politics that are totally different from suburban and city politics in my experience. And um, I never lost my love for the good things about small towns, Um, like the peace and quiet and the closeness to animals, which was always really important to me and everything, (coughs) all of that. And, you know, the expression of identity that, you know, kind of werewolves and shapeshifters tend to be just kind of coalesced for me. Um, I don't know how, like, I didn't like watch any particular media or anything to enjoy it. Like I I played, I think a witch in Monster Hearts and I was like, this is way too intense than I want to play. Huh. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't really think that's super what I want. Um, and I started writing this in 2013, which was right right after that, um, by basically breaking down how Monster Hearts worked into the little bitty pieces with destructive design process. And I was just like, okay, a whole bunch of this doesn't work and like a whole bunch of this stuff I can maybe do something with. And then I was like, but what I really want to tell is the story of these people who live in this small town who are struggling with themselves. Cause I think that that's one of the most fascinating stories to tell. Mm-hmm. And so um, I had the mechanics in my head until 2016 before I wrote them down. Uh, I, I just sat with them for like three years, afraid that no one would ever want it and that it would be bad. But whenever I told John about it, uh, my husband, he you know really encouraged me to write it down. And um, the first time I described the mechanics to him, I described them 100% backwards. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, can you please write that down and let's like work on this. And um, then once I began to flesh it out, you know, I, I worked uh, over the past like year or so, I've been just really digging into it and it hasn't actually undergone a ton of change, especially not thematically. Um, the story, the narrative has just, shapeshifters in small towns is the story that I want to tell. And I, I don't know. I haven't been able to find media touchstones for it. So uh, I think it's just kind of something in me. It's very, well, That that's one of the things that I keep thinking is that it's, it's very different. Um, it's like, like having, there was a period of time where I was seeking out like pretty specific, like werewolf stuff, but it's always, there's always some event. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's always some, uh, uh, I mean, I, I feel like like media in general, it, it's uh, it's all about the the there's some awful thing that's going to happen or did happen or you know could happen or whatever and yep. you need to deal with it and and the slice of life stuff for 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 um, unique points of view is just not really there. Um, yeah, yeah, um, we have plenty of slice of life for like white heterosexual male humans. Um, right. We, we, there's a couple of those. Out. <laughs> um, but, uh, but for anything else that's, I love that. I love, I love slice of life anyways. Um, to the point where, uh, 
I've always kind of played with that idea. If I'm designing like a, um, like a modern or future fantasy world, like what is it like for elves in a modern world where, you know, the, the, the degree of advancement is so quick for, for in someone's human lifetime, like what's an elf think about that? Do they adapt? You know, um, these are things I've taken into consideration, but haven't done much with. Um, so it, congratulations for doing something with your cool uh, <laughs> slice of life idea. Um, I want to ask you actually about um, deconstructive design process, um, yeah. because that's something I've not really, I've seen it referenced here and there, and I've never really had a chance to talk to anybody about that. Um, so what, what, what is, like just overall, what is that? So destructive design, um, I've actually written a little bit about it on Thoughty, is a process that I use, um, and a lot of people use, but maybe don't call it that, um, where I take some existing design or multiple existing designs um, and kind of find the bits and pieces of it by taking it apart. Like, what are the core elements of this specific power or this specific mechanic. Um, Strip it down to the bare bolts as much as you can. Um, And I do like a bullet pointing list and um, kind of compare and contrast it with other things. And um, then if I decide I like something in it, um, I might take a piece of it and rebuild it into something new and different. Um, For example, um, the struggles in uh, inside turn are what replaced what typically would be like moves. Sure. Uh, struggles don't work like moves. They have a scaled rolling system like the seven to nine, 10 plus and six and under kind of thing. Um, and you do roll two D six, but you can in most cases add a additional D six. Um, but the the difference between them and uh, in a typical move is you do the thing. Yeah. You succeed. Like yeah. Yeah. there's there's no success failure risk here. You succeed at what you're doing. The struggle is here. Um, you actually uh, basically are struggling against your opposing form whenever you roll them um, using the stats because uh, you have two sets of stats. And um, you use your opposing form's stats as a penalty to your roll. Interesting. And the uh, the final result is the consequences of your action. Okay. So it has similar bits and pieces to a move, but it's not a move, like right. <laughs> really at all. And it has confused a few people, um, which I feel bad for. But like, um, I I couldn't write a slice of life game uh, when you're just constantly failing all the time. Sure. It just didn't work for me, um, and the addition of the the uh, the turn die, which is the bonus die that you can occasionally use, um, that specifically is to help ensure that you succeed more of the time. Yeah. Whenever you are willing to take stress to do so, because that's the sacrifice for using the turn die. Um, that's that's it, uh, so okay. That's very cool because. You're right. How can you do like I go through my day and I'm generally successful at most tasks I attempt because my average day really isn't more challenging than, you know, unless I'm seeking out something more challenging. Um, right. But, you know, if I'm driving to work and uh, and there is bad traffic and I'm hitting construction and there, you know, like like it could be more problematic. That's really cool. That's a really cool way to indicate that. I like that Thank a lot. Um, Thank you. And so that's that's how I got to there from destructive design is I took moves and I was like, how's this work? Yeah. And I just I spent literally months um, looking at moves in various games and taking them apart. And then I finally just had that epiphany of like, oh, I just have to take out that failure part. Like, <laughs> like yeah. just. And it's possible that there are games out there that do that. So I don't proclaim that I'm doing something like completely novelty. I don't know all games, mm-hmm. um, but that's just where it came to me. It's not because I, you know, actually 
saw another game do that. Um, it was just the idea that I had. Well, it's what's interesting is um, so uh, it makes me think of, and I don't know if this is a house rule or just a suggestion for somebody that was more experienced than I was. Um, when I was running a Dungeon World campaign, I kind of kept running into that idea of like, you know, I don't want these, I don't want these characters to fail all the time, but you know, mm-hmm. six minus means you fail. Like that's, it's pretty straightforward. And somebody uh, said, well, the six minus means that you make a move and just make one of your moves that they succeed, but there's some consequence. Like play, play around with that a little bit. Um, yeah. And this is, this is almost codifying that concept. Like, you know, instead of being, it, it being kind of arbitrary, you know, um, uh, I want, <laughs> I, I once, um, I once ran a, a, a dungeon world uh, uh, session where a character kept failing and succeeded at the actual task, but accidentally caused a, an escalating series of events that ended up with a riot that burned down most, most of the city. Um, but he was successful. except He, he was rolling failures, yeah. but uh, so that's, it, it's kind of like that. I, but, but that was all arbitrary. That was me saying, you know, I'm just going to, decide this happens. Whereas you're essentially saying, you know, no, there's, there's codification here where I can, uh, y- y- you can, there's more of a chance. There's a variation in there. Is, is that what I'm? Yeah. 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 Like the, the rule in turn is you always succeed at what you're doing. It just has consequences and may take time. Right. Um, is basically how, how I describe it to people. And, um, I think that it just, it, it makes people take chances they might otherwise not take. Mm-hmm. But there are always sh- chances that people just don't think of being like a big deal. Like talking to people who you might not otherwise talk to. Or maybe you go to the party and like have a good time. Yeah. And things like that. <laughs> whenever you you might not do that otherwise. Um, whenever you have a high chance of failure. And I think the consequences that happen whenever you use the struggles in turn are always interesting. We always have something interesting come out of them and revealing a lot of the time. That's so cool. Um, I, I love the concept of destruct, destructive. Say it again. <laughs> destructive design. Destruct, just destructive design. Okay. Yeah. Um, because, because I like that idea of breaking down things. It's similar to, um, to coding a little bit, right? Like, you know, this, uh, uh, this program turns lights on and off. Um, let me break it down with this other stuff, you know, and, and see what I can, what else I can do. Oh, now I can mm-hmm. turn this on and off and, you know, um, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, some of the mechanics in turn have nothing to do with other games. Of course not. Um, like exposure is just a thing that I wrote. Yeah. Um, I don't know if there's something like it out there, uh, but I, uh, I, it's hard to find an original dice mechanic for one. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, sometimes if you take something and break it and put it back together, it works differently and the way you want it to work. Yeah. So <laughs> that's yeah. how I came about. That's really cool. Um uh, now, so it's it's going to be kickstarting. Um, it's it's going to be a few days from when this this episode is released. Um, yes. And uh, but I'll make sure that, like I said, I'll I'll. Uh, um, but what the basically what I'm saying is, uh, let's talk about the Kickstarter itself. So what's uh, yes. what what have it got? Um, so we're still figuring out uh, what if stretch goals will be. Um, because yeah. like. It's kind of a hard thing to do stretch goals for. Um, but the core book is going to be a six by nine um, a soft back, soft cover um, book with some beautiful, beautiful art, uh, both visual art from Reese Harris, John Sheldon, and uh, poetry by AJ Odasso. Oh, cool. And um, I'll tell you what, like <laughs> that poetry, I could not figure out what's missing from this game. I was like getting real stressed out. I like almost canceled Kickstarter. I was like, what is going on? Something is not right. It doesn't look right. 
And then I was scrolling through and AJ is a, someone I've known for decades, like at this point, I think. Uh-huh. Um, and I was like, oh my gosh, I saw one of their poems and I was like, that's exactly it. I'm thinking of the poems that they wrote about like growing up in Brookville area, like where I spent a lot of my childhood and they spent a lot of their childhood and how it was like this small town feeling. And I was like, oh, that's it. I just need this. <laughs> and <laughs> um, so the kick, the Kickstarter is to fund the art, the um, so that's the visual art and the poetry mm-hmm. and um, to cover editing, layout and um, printing costs. And um, there's a PDF level and then a print and PDF. And then there's some levels that include, um, I'm, I'm hoping I have to run this by my uh, compatriots, uh, doing a couple of live games for people um, running turn. So, um, and uh, I have some where maybe people might get to be recognized in various uh, archetypes um, in the game. I'm talking about doing custom archetypes as a potential stretch goal, so, um, and as a potential backer level. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's, there's a lot. It's I, I'm trying to keep it as simple as I can, um, in part because I'm the designer on the project, and that's kind of how it is. Uh, but um, announcements about stretch goals and stuff will be going up on my website, um, along with the actual official announcement of the Kickstarter um, about a week before it goes live. Very cool. I think it's. I, I think the 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 era of the crazy amount of stretch goals is, is, is waning a bit. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I mean, there's a couple that I'd really love to do and that I'm pursuing. Um, but none of them are going to be anything like what people, uh, <laughs> like what people assume them to be Right. for, for games these days. Like uh, I wanted to keep it, keep the book itself simple. So like I'm not doing hardback um, or anything like that. Yeah. And um, I don't know. I'm very excited because the goal is more than I want it to be because things are expensive. But I think it, the game is worth it. I, I love I love this game. It is my favorite game I have ever played. And I want other people to see it and experience it more than anything. I think um, uh, I think that like like if. And I and I have to assume this is the case. Behind the mask is any indication of the kind of quality that you can produce. Um, you know, it's 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 going to be worthwhile. Like like wherever wherever the the rates are, there's no chance that I'm not going to do the the PDF and print. Um, and and I support a lot of Kickstarters because I interview Kickstarter people. <laughs> but uh but you know i i definitely want this in print just because it well first of all that size of book is just perfect to just take around with you and and play stuff but um um i i also want to kind of like i i think basically what i'm saying is like um the i don't think you need a ton of extra stuff to, to get stretch goals. I think that, I think this sounds like a great product and a, and a great game. And, um, and I, I, I want to play it with people. <laughs> I'm glad I I'm hoping like, so everyone who has played it, um, yeah. who has actually played a session has had pretty much only positive things to say. Um, I've, I've run at a couple of cons I've run for groups online and face to face. And we've had a, a, one of our home games actually ran, is still running. Uh, it's been over a year. And um, we still keep finding new things that we love about it. Mm-hmm. And I think that if people, you know, are willing to give a game that takes a little more time to play sometimes, because um, it's meant for a campaign, um, I, I hope that people will give it a chance and just experience the kind of storytelling that, I haven't experienced in other games. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 I was actually going to ask that as my next question. Like, like 
you know, does it does it work better as one shots or campaigns? It sounds like it, it, well, you said it works best as, as campaigns. Do you think it yeah. it like? I mean, that's a pretty at least these days, from my point of view, running a single game for a year seems like a pretty long term. It does. I mean, yeah. we play pretty far paced out. Like, yeah. I'll be honest. Like, we sometimes a month or so in between games. Okay. Um, but uh, you can play in a shorter period and get plenty out of it. Okay. Um, but uh, I'm currently working on a way to do like a more simple way to do town building and character building for one shots at conventions. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little hard because the town building is one of the most like key things that everyone loves every time they play and to you know cut that out feels cheap but um i'm gonna do some sample towns in the book and um work on some like quicker ways for people to get started Mm. uh and that way they can still have the experience of the play which everyone who's done a one shot of it has still loved um and have more time to do it yeah yeah and 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 still do the the entire entire thing it's I, I enjoy that. I feel like we got this rash of games that were kind of built for one shots for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we're starting to get uh, uh, Phil from um, Encoded uh, did his Hydro Hackers. Um, yeah. Ashcan. Yeah. And um, and that is like read through that, you know, and I, and I, I was like, oh, this is this is meant as a campaign, um, you know telling stories over a longer period of time with a group of people you like hanging out with. is like, that's kind of what gaming is about. Yeah. And I love embodying a character. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, one of the, the long campaign we're playing that we've been playing for a while. Um, when we started playing, I got my character and named him Bo, which is a, the name that I had been privately using for myself only with myself for a really long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got to explore some things in character that over I had to do it over time to do this to the point that I finally felt comfortable. Now I allow people to call me like in person, either Bo or Brie. Okay. And um, that's the kind of thing that you can get from, you know, a game that really makes you feel the character's feels yeah. a bit, yeah. I think. Um, but like for me, I wouldn't have been able to be comfortable, I think, in a shorter game. Yeah. I've gotten amazing things out of some sort of games. Like Sagas of the Icelanders I played one time and it helped me to like come out as non-binary, so it was kind of a big deal. Oh, <laughs> like okay. I played one session uh at a convention and I was like, Oh, okay, this answers that question. Um <laughs> <laughs> what, so, say the name of the game again? Sagas of the Icelanders. Interesting. It's, also powered by the apocalypse and um it is one of the most brilliant games i've ever played um it deals with gender and identity and uh relationships really really tightly and um i'd played it before but then i played the session run by jason morningstar um the second time i played it was run by jason morningstar and (laughs) uh not not to brag or anything (laughs) yeah well it's this it's just funny because I I kind of purposefully coordinated to play a game with a very specific group of people. Sure. And um, I was playing alongside uh, Tracy Barnett and um, Morgan Ellis and um, Eric Mersman, Oof. and I, I think that was everyone. But um, that's a great table, though. <laughs> oh yeah, it was like incredible. It was incredible, and um, I was at that point struggling really hard with the subject of coming out and like openly being Mm non-binary and I was I played the like most one of the most like masculine roles you can play in the game and (laughs) and uh basically like the scenes that I had with Tracy and uh Eric um like a month and a half two months later I was like hey um that's it I'm I'm non-binary like I know that I can say that now I feel the strength to say that and the courage to say that yeah and so I don't know if turn will be like formative for anybody else, but like it helped me to like, I wanted to have the same kind of feelings from games like sagas in turn, um, but without as much intensity so that you could play more calmly and quietly over a long period of time. Okay. And like, 
so you can have an everyday life where you're exploring things that maybe you wouldn't explore like in real life and um to to see that balance of identity and community and how how it can make you be who you want to be that's amazing this i love this game <laughs> <laughs> i just just from having this conversation with you about it i love this game um uh, i hope you get to play it <laughs> i I'll, i i will play this game this that will happen uh it may not be with my usual group of grongards, but um, we'll, <laughs> yeah. we'll figure it out. Um, uh, so I, I also want to talk a little bit about um, your, because you're an interviewer as well. Um, yes. And I wanted to get you, give you an opportunity to kind of talk about, um, you know, some of the recent interviews you've done or just talk about being an interviewer. Um, sure. I did. I did I go on your blog, and I, I, I have to ask before you even get into that. Though I have to ask about the picture of the tell. Tell me about your character. Uh, the doctor is in. Uh, oh yeah, uh, that's John. Sheldon, I thought that was my, John. Uh, the one who uh, earlier we were talking about, Roar of Alliance. Mm -hmm. uh, he is my husband and my business partner, um, the uh, developmental editor on Turn, and one of the artists uh, for the game. Right on. <laughs> he, he does a lot of things. Uh, at Big Bad Con, he did the Tell Me About Your Character booth, which is uh, for charity. Okay. Um, basically, uh, people paid like 15 bucks, and uh, he drew a picture of their character that they wanted him to draw a picture of. And he drew some really amazing pieces, um, including one of Nathan Black, which is now Nathan's uh, profile picture, which was just amazing. That's amazing. So, yeah, that's. That's John is a brilliant artist. Um, his his stuff is awesome. I do recommend following him. He's like John W. Sheldon on Instagram and Twitter. Um, definitely, definitely worth popping on there and looking at his stuff. Cool. Um, and so yeah, let's talk about your your five or so questions. Um, yeah. What uh, would you like to know? Well, um, I know you've. I've been following them, and I get alerts for them. Um, I, I would love to say that I've been reading all of them, uh, but, but I haven't, uh, because sometimes I'm awful. Um, but that's, <laughs> that's okay. I, I, I can admit to that. Um, I will say that, um, you've, you've kind of, some of the stuff that you, you've interviewed people about when I'm like glancing through it, I'm like, oh my God, there's so many cool people that you're, that you're, uh, talking to, um, what's, what's the process of getting those started? Are you, are you actively reaching out? Are you getting people come to you coming to you? It's kind of a combination. Okay. Um, I really love when people come to me, mm -hmm. um, because searching out interviews can be a pretty exhausting process. I'm sure, you know, ah, yeah. like <laughs> when you have empty spots in your schedule, uh, I don't have an official schedule, but like whenever I see that all month they don't have an interview, I have to like rush all over to find them. Yeah. Um, but uh, I have a contact page on my site that mm -hmm. has instructions on how to ask for an interview. Um, and I do a couple of different types of interviews. I do uh, the five or so questions, um, which are five questions about your project. Um, and then I do uh, quick shots, which are uh, like three questions, one of which is, standard just like five or so questions um about your uh current project that you're trying to promote in a short period of time mm. uh, <laughs> they're always really quick turnaround <laughs> um and then i've done like patreon spotlights and stuff like that um that focus on the designer or whatever i've also interviewed players specifically for their series um mm. stuff like that i i try to do something a little different every so often to branch out and not just talk about the people who are producing, but also, you know, the people who are playing yeah, and stuff like that. Um, and uh, so these, I've, I have about, I would say probably about like almost half and half balance between like the kinds of like people who come get me um, and me like being on Twitter and being like, Hey, this is really awesome. Could you please just let me interview you? Uh, or maybe going to a Kickstarter, especially if people are outside of our community, mm -hmm. like, uh, if people are on the fringe, kind of, as designers, uh, a lot of the time, 
I have to like step out and be like, hey, I would actually like to talk to you about your cool project. Yeah. Could you please let me do that? Um, but sometimes people don't want to do it because it's not a podcast. Right. Because <laughs> I do all email um, for my interviews. It, that's so ridiculous to me. I mean, like, I listen. I do. I do podcasting for the same reason I do improv. Um, if I plan things, I I miss something. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so. yeah. I, for me, it it actually uh, the reason why I do email is time accommodation. Yeah. Um, and also uh, accommodating my disabilities. Uh, I am a disabled creator. And um, I have audio processing issues. Okay. So, uh, like, just doing recording like this is, like, it's actually a, a lot of effort for me. So, like, it's going to take most of my energy for the rest of the day. Okay. Um, but I also have memory issues. So, like, whenever I'm interviewing people, sometimes by the time they get to the end of their full, like, you know, sometimes couple minutes long response, I have forgotten what they said at the beginning. Yeah. And uh, so I... I, I feel really bad about that because it, it is a failing on my part, you know, mm-hmm. but um, I found that the email interviews like really allow people to say what they want to spell things correctly um, to, you know, kind of express what they want in a bite-sized format. Yeah. Um, sometimes a little longer with some people, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, so the only time I ever did any uh, email interviews was a number of comic book creators for a thing called the Inkwell Awards that um, anybody who's into comic books, I recommend looking into it. Mm-hmm. Um, not to plug a different thing on your podcast, but uh, oh, it's okay. But um, the, the most exciting part about that is that I got to interview Jim Starlin. Oh, wow. And, yeah, okay. So you know who he is. Um, familiar with the name enough, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, he is 100% like my my hero as far as comic book creators go. Like Aww. he, the, the stories he's told have really inspired me, um, kind of kept me going through hard times and stuff like that. Um, for those who don't know, he made Thanos is really the big thing. Yeah. Um, and kind of like, like everything that you love about the Marvel movies, he kind of had a hand in playing around right. with. Um but um, the the other comic book creators, I knew some of them, uh, or I knew of some of them, and then, um, but obviously I knew Jim the best. Jim's answers were, let's say, succinct. <laughs> were, yeah, that's always kind of shocking whenever that happens. Like yeah. whenever somebody responds with like two sentences, you're like, okay. Yeah. Um, there was one that he really went into. Um, and it was me asking about kind of his passion project from year for years and years. And he really went into like what in what went into that was a that was a kind of my favorite part about that. Like I asked, I knew I asked him a question that really engaged him. Um, yeah. Reading the comments from the other creators though got me to learn so much <laughs> that I was mm-hmm. like, oh, this okay. So this is why we do that. Um, but uh, similar to. Um, similar to to your disability i have dyslexia so i can read things and i'll be halfway through a sentence and forget what the beginning of the sentence was so um yeah i i I have a similar issue and it's very challenging like um i i actually had a a brain injury i think i have mentioned this to you before uh at the end of last year and I'm still not fully through recovery and I've had previous brain injuries. Okay. Um, and so like there were actually sections of turn that I wrote, um, after the, uh, most recent one where I don't remember writing it and had to kind of relearn everything that I had done, see if I'd made any changes in the multiple documents that didn't translate properly or whatever. And, um, so like with interviewing, it, it was even harder because I had actually interviewed some people and just didn't remember at all. I had no recollection wow. of the process. And so um, I've had memory issues ever since my first head injury. Okay. Uh, and I was like 13. And they've just gotten substantially worse over the years. Uh, and so like as a as someone who does creative work, both written and like I still do sometimes like record audio and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think... 
I think as a as an interviewer especially, I've had to make use of every tool at my disposal, yeah. like standard first questions. Some people think that that's cheap. Um, I don't edit people's responses, except for like major typos. Sure. Um, and that's because I don't ever want anyone to think that I'm changing their words because that is a paranoia that I have because of my memory loss that someone could change mine and I wouldn't know. So I, I have like a policy where it's like, I will only edit your work for typos. It doesn't really matter what else you say. <laughs> so. No, that, that makes, that makes perfect sense. That's, that's a, that's a, wow. Um, that's a great reason to not edit is, <laughs> Uh, I mean, I feel like, I feel like we've all kind of had those moments where like, no, that's not what I meant by that thing. But, um, yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So, so I, I, that's the, where I'm basically, what I wanted to basically go with this is, uh, for, for fans of this show, um, if you enjoy, the the interviews I do, I think that in a lot of ways, um, reading the interviews you do, uh, that that, and I'm, now I'm talking to the audience that Bree does uh, or Bo. Um, Either's fine. I like Bo. <laughs> That's good. I might I might be code switching that, um, mm-hmm. but um, so the interviews that Bo does uh, are are a great companion to what what I do, you know, if you, if you enjoy listening to me, talk to people, um, seeing the, the in-depth, um, and, and it is clear that, that the individual voices are part of that. Um, it's a cool thing. Yeah. So everybody should go check those out. Um, we are nearing the end of our time. Uh, and it went, (laughs) Way too quick, just like it did last time. Um, and you're my only repeat customer so far. Oh, wow. Um, so, thank you. <laughs> no, thank you for being willing to do this uh, twice. Um, and, I, of course, I would I would have you on anytime. I would just chat with you anytime because you're just awesome. Um, but, uh, and then, of course, we'll, we'll soon get James on to talk about... Uh, about his uh, his game, which I typed down and then for oh yeah, John's game, Roar of Alliance. Roar of Alliance. Um, yeah. Oh man, that, that which is a, I don't know if I said this on air. Uh, it is a alternate history World War II tank crew game. Yeah. Um, that is kind of a little board game RPG hybridy with some really rich role playing and wonderful strategic play for the encounters. Yeah. Yeah, and when we're when uh, when you're ready to to get that going, I will I will pick his brain about that because that sounds wonderful. Absolutely. Um, what any uh, any last thoughts? Anything that you want to kind of close with? Um, anything you're um, looking forward to? I'm really looking forward to people enjoying the game. Yeah. Um, I'm going to assume that people will enjoy the game and not have tons of criticism for me. Uh, <laughs> um, but turn is um, really important to me. It's a project that I've worked on for quite a few years now, and I am super excited to see the different combinations of beasts in and humans, like the roles and archetypes that people make. Mm-hmm. And I am looking forward to seeing people find the little secret things that I've hidden all through the game uh, of how you can learn more about yourself and each other. And um, I think I, I'm excited to continue moving forward as as a designer with a, a game that people love uh, as, as something they know me for. I love it. So. I love it. Um, yeah, everybody. So everybody should, uh, uh, a few days after this comes out, go support Turn on... Um, on Kickstarter, uh, there will be um, there will be links. There will be many yes. links. Um, be. You can follow uh, if you follow Thoughty Games on oh, okay. Twitter uh, and check out Um 
I'll be posting the relevant announcements there. Um, and you can also always reach me uh, through contactbrucs at gmail if you have any questions about the game. Perfect. And can people pick, still pick up uh, Behind the Mask? Um, the PDF is now available on my uh, itch.io. The, it's brucs.itch.io. Um, you can find it there right now. We're still working on getting up on drive-thru and IPR because I'm really slow um, with like dealing with their sites, uh, admittedly. But um, it is there, and it is currently $8 for the PDF. Uh, we only have a, a little bit of copies that are hard copies left, and I'm probably going to try and distribute those through IPR until they're gone. Okay. Very cool. Um, well, everybody should, should check that out as well. Uh, because it's very cool um, and it makes your brain think, uh, which <laughs> is awesome. Um, and another appearance, appearance of uh, Tracy Barnett. Uh, yes. Whose stuff Tracy is, is a fave. Oh, Tracy. Um, they, uh, when when um, I met them for the first time at um, our local convention, and um, I had a big hug and I was like, oh. <laughs> this is just because of a conversation on a podcast. How nice. <laughs> they're so sweet. Um, they actually just put out a new game. Mm -hmm. um, if you look for, uh, they're the other Tracy on Twitter, and they just put out a new game called Bro Hunters, I believe, oh. which is like Bro Ghost Hunters. Um, and I haven't got to play it yet, but it if it kills me, I'm going to get Tracy to run it for me or get someone else to run it to me because it sounds amazing. Um, just like pretty much everything they put out. So that sounds amazing. Um, wow. Now, now I have to look that up too. Uh, <laughs> so much food for that. Uh, um, Brie, uh, mm, Oh, um, there's a new tradition since you were last on, um, okay. that, uh, that I've started doing. Um, I've started asking because it's the lounge and it's chill and it's just meant to be a cool conversation and everything. I like to remind the audience to, uh, to, to stay classy. So, um, would you care to do the honors? I certainly can do so. Perfect. All right. So, um, let's see. <laughs> stay classy, you lounge lizards. Love it. <laughs> Remember, lounge lizards, you are classy. We're just requesting that you stay that way. Not that we need to. That's Bo. In a nutshell. <clears throat> Not literally. You know. Um, check out his stuff. Go to uh, go to breecs.com and check out Bo's. Uh, five or so questions they're awesome i'm hoping to do a little bit more collaboration with him in the future on those because they're very cool um also uh at brecs on twitter and uh on november 1st if you could be so kind go to kickstarter and search for turn rpg uh, you won't be disappointed I'm excited to play it. Maybe I'll play it on an actual play. I'm, I'd love to do that. There's all sorts of people doing actual play. I'd love to play it. Oh, so many other things. Things like the, the Lounge is a misdirected mark production, the media arm of Encoded Designs. It's a bunch of other, bunch of other shows. Um, Hey, here's a cool one I haven't mentioned in a while. She's a Super Geek. It's an actual play RPG podcast highlighting women as GMs. Join them every other Tuesday for lots of different RPGs and guests. I want to thank some people. We're going to get to that. We're doing it live here right now. I'm going to thank three random people. Who are, who are we going to thank? Eric Blackman. No, it's okay. Merrick Blackman, the Royal D&D reviewer. And we've got um, Robert Day, 
Happy thanks, Robert. And uh, Nick. Just Nick. Right on there, Nick. So thanks a lot, Nick. Music you're listening to right now is And So It Begins. It's used under Creative Commons 3.0. And this whole thing is just a excuse for me to hang out with just the coolest people I could possibly meet. Hey, you know what you should do? If you are super jealous of me, start your own interview podcast with a cool thing you like. But just keep listening to me, Doc, and I'm on the lounge. Later. Later.